Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Really excited about this week's guest. It's one of the ones that when I started doing this, I thought this is the guy that I need to get on. So uh, it's Nathan Fave from New Zealand. I don't think he needs much of an introduction, but uh, very interesting person to talk to. I learned a lot of really cool stuff about him and uh, racing um, we kind of get the whole story of what happened at worlds so i think you're really really going to enjoy this one and also coming up here in the introduction is our first um, tales from the trail so to speak um, throw your throw your teammate under the bus maybe i don't know what we're going to call it i think tales from the trails but um, if you have a nice fun story and a teammate that doesn't care too much if you uh, talk about him a little bit. Um, the phone number and the Skype stuff is all in the show notes, so give it a call. We like just like a three-minute story, um, and you could be on the podcast with. Well, you can't be on with Nathan because he's already on, but um, there'll be somebody that you could be on with. So think about it. Send me a story. They're kind of fun to listen to. So it all started during a 30-hour race in the back hills of the Midwest, bushwhacking during the hottest part of the day in the middle of July. We were halfway into the race, bushwhacking point to point through overgrown trees, thorns, packs of bees, swampland, seed ticks, spider webs, stinging nettles, you name it, we ran through it. The race in the Midwest, it's pretty common to wear long pants no matter the temp because of the terrain. Our third teammate, Rob, started complaining in casual conversation while we continued to push on that his pants were bothering him and that he really wanted to stop and take them off. Dude, we're racing. What do you mean they're bothering you? It got to a point where his pants must have been really bothering him that it started to slow the pace of the team. We decided to clip him into the back of my pack to help keep the pace up. Our navigator said, look over at me and clip Robin in the back of my pack. You need to tow him and get his mind off his pants. I need to focus. So as we continued to push forward, Rob was talking to me in conversation, random thoughts. We came upon another pack of stinging nettles, waist high. The thing about this plant is there's pretty much no way around them unless you want to go 100 meters to the left or 100 meters to the right. You might as well just run right through them. And we did. As we bushwhacked right through another patch up onto a road, Rob yelled, Oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. I looked back. Not only is he itching and scratching up and down his legs, but he's covered head to toe with those little green fuzzy burrs we all know too well. These pants are making my legs itch. We then realized that he had no idea what stinging nettles were. And if you itch them, they react even more and they sting even more and more and more. The sting will subside after a few hours if you just don't touch them. Dude, you can't itch it. It makes it worse. It's not your pants. It's stinging nettles, and it will itch forever. Rob says, oh, my God, how can I get it to stop? Oh, my God, it itches so bad. Z says calmly, well, we can pee on you. As we all looked at each other like, what? Then I said, or you can pee on yourself. Then without hesitation, I said, you just need to not think about it. 
He took off his pants and put his shorts on, and we covered his legs in mud from the side of the road to help ease the pain. As his legs were so swollen from itching them, it was a sight. Off we went to finish the race, clearing the course with time to spare. Teammates are like family, so take care of each other. And on a side note, always have staff a step. So, kind of a cool story, isn't it? Um, once again, we're sponsored by the Appalachian Mountain Club. And a uh, little technical note, they just put the commercial in the middle of the uh, interview. A little more professional, so to speak, but I doubt it. Uh, once again, go to iTunes, give us a like, good review, five-star review helps. Um, go to the website and follow me. It helps with uh, my ranking there, which since I'm going to be starting to look for some more sponsors, that could help out too. And or you can go to... Um, my website legendary Rand Erickson films and find the donate page and you could donate to me which would be cool um, or if you're a race director or a team you want some video photos um, I could do that for you so oh and also if you get any buddy that you think might be a good guest for the podcast uh, send an email to uh, Legendary Randy Erickson Films at gmail.com and uh, we'll uh, think about getting them on. Not like there isn't a whole bunch of people, but uh, so. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this podcast and uh, here we go. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Good, good, good. Good. So, how, how are things on a nice Sunday afternoon? Oh. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful day here. Um, stunning, stunning day. Um, oh, I've been working all weekend, actually. I, I've got a New Zealand publisher that's really keen to um, publish, uh, well, essentially an autobiography of mine. We've been working on it for a few years. Oh, that's good. Cool. Um, yeah, kind yeah, of exciting. Kind of yeah, it is, it is. Um, but I've been really slack, actually, in, <laughs> in making it happen. I, I guess from time to time I wonder, well, my motivation for it sort of wavers a bit at times, but... I've got a deadline into this end of this month um, if it's going to happen this year. So I've just been sort of frantically uh, trying to hit, trying to make that work. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. kind of why you've been posting a few of the videos from the old days, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been sort of researching, um, you know, just historic. So I'll, actually, that's mainly what I've been doing this this weekend is just uh, researching facts, getting things correct and uh, just trying to you know jog memory of of what actually happened sort of a decade ago of interesting so yeah. yeah it's been fun cool well it's even perfect for this so let's uh let's start at the beginning when when did you start racing oh i started in 1999 in the southern traverse which was in my hometown of nelson and that's largely why I did it, I think, is because it basically came to my hometown. I'd, I'd always been interested in the Southern Traverse for a number of years, but we're sort of down the other end of the South Island, so I thought, oh, one day I'll, I'll get around to it. But in 1999, it, it came uh, to my town, so I was into it. So, and so is the Southern Traverse is like, what what is that exactly? It's sort of an adventure race, oh, right? Yeah, the Southern Traverse, essentially the Southern Traverse was the, it really was the second expedition race uh, in the world because uh, the first race was here in New Zealand in 1989. That was the 
the Grand Traverse, which was later renamed um, the Raid Gouloise when the French got a sponsor. But the first race, the Grand Traverse, was in New Zealand in 1989. Yeah, and inspired by that, Jeff Hunt started the Southern Traverse in 1991. And he ran that, uh, I think, for 13 years uh, before, he, before he stepped down. So right through the 90s, uh, event racing was, you know, it was, it was pretty big in New Zealand. Um, there was a lot of excitement around it and a lot of people doing it. And, you know, the Southern Traverse was, was getting really, really strong, um, strong fields. And then it uh, would have been, I guess, towards the end of the 90s, you know, Mark Burnett introduced Eco Challenge and, and then it became probably a little bit more mainstream. Yeah. Well, you think that's, I mean, so New Zealand's really always had a history of adventure racing. You think that's kind of why you guys are, I mean, you, you got to be close to the top country in the world, if, if not the top in number of teams and, and really good teams. Yeah, I, I think if you I think if you researched it, you, I'm pretty sure you'd find New Zealand would, would be the most successful country in terms of uh, how many races Kiwis have won, or, or alternative to that, um, how many races that have been won that have actually included uh, Kiwis in the teams. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right. I think a big part of that is we actually got a head start on the rest of the world. Um, you know we. We were essentially doing it for probably five or six years before, you know, before a lot of other people really cottoned on to what was going on, except for perhaps the French. You know, it was a French organisation that started started the sport, and, and they did have the Raid Gouloirs happening right through the early 90s, but they were in pretty remote and exotic locations, so it was really just a small group of people that were doing those early races. Um, yeah, well, I mean, my, my first exposure was primal quest in 09 with with orion and uh your teammate there so i've been yep. my my whole adventure race career so to speak has been with kiwis <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, Classic. yeah. So, so give me a rough idea how many how many expedition races have you done i have done 31 31 that's a that's like a year of racing <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I worked, yeah, I worked out in Costa Rica. That was my um, my thirtieth race, and if you and that's not including stage racing. So mm-hmm. I've done quite a lot of um, you know like Abu Dhabi race and races in China. If I've done about twenty of those. So in terms of international major events, it's it's actually up over 50, 50 races now. But uh, yeah, I've done thirty one expedition races. That's that's I would guess that's probably more than anybody else by a long shot. Oh uh, yeah, I I think probably the only person that would get close would be Mike Closer. I reckon Mike must have done close to that or a similar amount. I would guess, but I think me and Mike would probably yeah uh, take take the uh, record for the most races. Yeah, so I watched uh, just a couple of little bits of the clips that you would posted over the weekend. <laughs> so I would you two probably have a pretty good rivalry even though it's a team event do you think maybe you two sort of had a personal rivalry um, or not a, maybe not a rivalry but yeah a... no i think so i think it i think not necessarily with just with wouldn't i wouldn't single out out and just say specifically with mike but i think i think over the years especially back then when the stakes were quite a bit higher and the media level of immediate interest was a lot higher as well 
there was probably some key personalities in the sport and, and the media probably contributed to those um, rivalries. But yeah. I, often in races, I did feel that it was, you know, I was racing Mike. And I think a lot of that was because he was just such a fierce competitor. And, you know, he was just so driven and so focused and so talented that, um, you know, whoever was in his team was, was basically going to get sucked along by his... Uh, well, by him, really. And yeah. I felt in a lot of ways that that uh, I was in a similar role in New Zealand. And, uh, yeah, that I was – that it pretty much came down to, I mean, Mike kind of leading his team and me leading mine. And for a lot of years, we were – it was either one of us was winning the races. You know, if we, if we didn't win, it was them and vice versa. Yeah. So, well, in the interest of full disclosure, you get one up on Mike because I've been trying to get a hold of him to have him on the podcast, but you beat him. <laughs> yeah. so, classic you're one yeah. up on him now um, that's right but it, I, I guess just on that note in, in other races um, you know where there was more navigation involved the race became more a battle of the navigators in which case uh, using Mike's team I would feel like the race was probably between more me and Ian Adamson uh-huh. it was who it was who could navigate the best through the course was probably going to win. So, yeah, at, at times it just it did feel like you were racing individuals, even though it was a team sport. Yeah. Did you two ever race together? I mean, on the same team? Not with Ian, but I have raced with Mike uh, only once, I think, and that was in the the World Championships in Spain in 2010. And, and it was really special. I really, really enjoyed it. That's that's cool. I mean, I I would never I would never think that you guys would be rival rival. So I could see where it'd be probably pretty cool to race with them once. Yeah, 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 totally. So yeah, I I worked with them a little bit at in uh, Idaho two two years ago. Yes, or three right. years ago. Yeah, and I, that's well, no, I'd actually done a couple of his races down in Colorado too. So seems like a a nice person. So sure. Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. He's a true champion, Mike. Yeah. So. Um, how many people have you raced with over the years? How many, roughly? Oh, not many. I, I think given how many races I've done, um, as you probably know, the, the Kiwi teams tend to sort of stay together yeah. um, and not swap around too much. So, you know, as far as core teammates go, I, I think I think it's probably about seven or eight. So, um, yeah, not not all that many. I think that's uh, kind of interesting. I talking with. Mark Latanzi a few weeks ago, and he thought he probably raced with 100 or 150 people. So, <laughs> well, and that, I mean, that's probably the difference between New Zealand and America. You yeah. guys, you know, it, you guys are a team where in the United States, it's like you might have a team, but you're always looking for somebody yeah, for yeah. this race or that race. So, yeah, sure, sure. So, um, has Seagate always been a sponsor of yours or? That they've always been my major sponsor. Yeah, I I did a couple of races um, early on in my career. I mean, but uh, pretty much from two thousand and two, well, literally in two thousand and two, I signed with Seagate. And other than perhaps me going and joining sort of other teams, you know, to fill in um, mainly Kiwi teams in other races in China and Abu Dhabi, uh, pretty much since then Seagate have been been my sponsor. So yeah, it spans back um, literally to two thousand and two now. Well, that's got to help too to have that steady, you know, steady resource in the background for you. 
Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, they've been the dream sponsor, really. And, you know, they've just got such a good understanding of what we do and what's involved. And, and um, yeah, I like, I like to think it's been a, a sort of a win-win situation. You know, we've, we've certainly pulled a lot of results over the years. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and they seem to understand it. I I don't know if you saw it last week. I tweeted something about your, your uh, you, who knew that Nathan had a wicked sense of humor and uh, Twitter, they retweeted it. So they, they pay attention to, to what. Oh, really? Out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. And a couple of things during God Zone. So they, you know, they, they retweeted yeah. it out. So they're, uh, they follow what you're doing. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. sometimes I wonder if they do. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So uh, it yeah, it was pretty funny. I just for you got a little certificate saying that you qualified for worlds and posted it on Facebook, and I said something about uh, Have you ever done that sort of a race before? That's and, right. That's right. And uh, your reply yeah. was, "What you had? You saw one on TV, and you had a friend that, of a friend that read a book." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and don't take this the wrong way, but you know, I've seen you at races, and and obviously you're pretty focused there. So, kind of uh, seeing that you have a sense of humor is, was, <laughs> which I mean, it's dumb to 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 think that because under the circumstances, but it was it was pretty cool. So yeah, um, yeah, no. So. so what what was what's the your favorite race you've ever done? Oh, that's a, a really tricky question, as, as I'm sure you can appreciate, because uh -huh. um, every race, you know, every race is just so different, and, and, and they all have good bits and bad bits yeah. and, and things, but I, I think if I was to single one out, um, you know, if I was forced to, then... Yeah, you're then forced. Think, yeah, <laughs> Eco Challenge in Fiji in 2002, I mean, that was a pretty special, special race uh, for me for lots of reasons, and, and while other races have certainly come close um to that i i think that probably does it's probably the jewel in my event racing career i think yeah i actually saw a little bit of that and i can see see why it's it's it looked pretty pretty special to yeah <laughs> yeah so um what what's the worst worst race then i mean it, oh. those two questions always go together so <laughs> yeah uh Again, really, there's not, you know, honestly, I don't, there's nothing that really, really sort of jumps out at me as, um, as probably the worst race. I, I mean, because I, I guess a lot of it is more reflective on your experience that you have. So, so for some people, the, um, you know, the, the same race could be their favorite race, but, yeah. but, but probably the most disappointing or frustrating race or the race I, I sort of like to forget about was the world championships in Scotland in, uh, in 2007. I think it was, I, I think it was, I think the race director there was just, uh, just throwing their rule book around, uh, way too much. And, um, it became the world championships with penalties really. Wow. Um, all the top teams were just getting loaded with all these penalties that it was pretty hard to know what was going on in the race. And uh, added to that, we we just didn't have a good race, you know. As a team, we did, we didn't really fire, and and um, we performed really poorly. So, you know, all all up, it was just one of those races where uh, it was probably one of the only races actually. That in the hindsight, I wish I hadn't have gone to. Wow, well, yeah, that 
that would make it a bad race. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I'm kind of kind of surprised that you did say last year's World Championships, but is that kind of because you guys really didn't have any choice? You know, it was medical issues that forced oh, you out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and um, I mean, you know, we, we often have disappointing races. You know, we, we've had we've had plenty of those. And I, I guess when I look back on Costa Rica, you know, I I largely take a lot of responsibility for what happened there. And it was a race that we, we you know, we we, we could, so could have won, but we didn't. Yeah. And and it was largely because we. We probably, you know, in hindsight, we probably just got a bit complacent and didn't didn't perform to the best of our ability on on a number of levels. And and um, yeah, I, I guess there's those races where I just sort of think that you know that that was our stuff, and it's not really a reflection on the event itself or the race director right. or the yeah. country or all those sort of things. Yeah. So so what actually was wrong with your feet? Because I heard everything, you know, that if you didn't go to the hospital, you're going to have your feet amputated and blah, 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 blah. So, so what actually happened? So, yes, yeah, well, that certainly, um, no, it was, it was nothing that severe. Right. So I was the first person to get it. So on the, basically the end of the big trek um, over the high altitude mountain, I can't remember the name of it. Chiripo. Tarepo, yeah. So we we came off that. Our, our plan in the race was really get over that mountain, then start racing hard. Like we weren't really too concerned what happened before the mountain stage, because traditionally we don't go all that well at altitude. And we figured what we needed to do was get over the mountain, take stock of where we were in the race and how we felt and all the rest of it, and then start racing. And there was plenty of race course left um, after that. So. We were, we were pretty happy. We, we pretty much came over the mountain, um, you know, with Tourlade, not far behind them, but, you know, there thereabouts. And once we got down into the valley, we decided that, yep, we were, you know, we were all feeling good and we, we would basically make a, essentially launch an attack that would hopefully win us the race. And so we ran, we basically decided to run down the valley. I think we had about 30K to go, um, 20 miles, I guess before the end of the stage and not far before the end of that stage there was that i'm not sure if you remember there was a compulsory medical check mm -hmm. where the teams had to stop for an hour and and have the doctors check over them well not long before that um stage i said to my teammates oh i just need to stop at some point and get the stones out of my shoe like i felt like i had a whole lot of sharp stones in my shoe that was quite irritating so i stopped at this creek and took my shoes and socks off and I was quite amazed because I didn't have any, there was no stones in there at all. <laughs> and, um, but I was bleeding between my toes. Ooh, yeah. So I, um, I kind of thought, well, that's kind of strange. And then, um, and then, so I put my, I basically, you know, rinsed my shoes and socks and carried on, but my feet were getting quite, quite sensitive, quite hard to walk on, which in adventure racing in context of adventure racing is not that unusual. So yeah. it wasn't like I was panicked about it. And then uh, not long before that uh, medical check, Trev um, sort of mentioned to me that he had, uh, you know, quite quite sort of tingly sort of sore feet. And I, I asked him what it felt like, and he pretty much said the same thing as me. So it feels like I've got some really sharp stones in there. So, um, so yeah, we, we basically had those doctors check out our feet, and, and they did treat Trev for early signs of, um, of foot rot. 
which is basically just a bacterial infection that um, it is flesh eating, but but it's not like it's going to you know eat your feet off. Um, it's just going to be severely irritating. So they treated him for that, um, but didn't really tell him, um, you know, what to do. Yeah. And, and they said to him, "Well, you know, you shouldn't. You don't want to put your you don't want to put your shoes and socks back on." You know, and it was like, "Well, this is not practical because we're still, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're in this race." And then, so and when the doctor checked my feet, I asked him about mine because you could sort of see they were quite red. There's a lot of red spots around some of the areas, and you know, obviously, I've been bleeding between my toes where the flesh had sort of starting to come off yeah. and uh, he said he just sort of ignored it he was um, he was being filmed and I think it was just his chance of stardom just um, being on camera so he really wasn't paying much attention to what I was saying to him so anyway I kind of thought oh well you know it's just event racing just I just need to suck it up and, and get on with it yeah. but on that next mountain bike ride my feet really started to get sore and tender to the point where where walking was becoming really uncomfortable and, and difficult so we did that mountain bike ride. We were leading the race by now, and we did that mountain bike ride. And then the river, the river had opened for the rafting. So I thought, oh well, we've got you know the rafting stage leading into a, a big kayaking stage, yeah. and there's not that much more of the race left after that. So I figured, let's just do these next stages. And if my feet are really bad, then I'm just gonna. It's just gonna not. It's gonna be. It's just not gonna be nice. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. But oh, the, that, you know, that's racing. So anyway, um, we we did the rafting section, and, and when we came out of the rafting section, Trevor and I could hardly walk. Like we could hardly load bear our feet, mm -hmm. and then Sophie was experiencing the same thing. So we were kind of due to have a sleep. So Sophie suggested, we, "Why don't we sleep?" And she was going to go and basically find out a bit more information because because she's a doctor, yeah, um, as to what is actually going on with our feet. And that's when uh, Pongo. Um, who got wind of it and thought, oh, you've obviously got foot rot. Yeah. So, so he basically brought some iodine and some uh, antibacterial cleaner and came down and helped us wash our feet before yeah. the kayak. He said, yeah, you guys, th th you'll be right. In 24 hours, um, you know, just keep 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 your feet uh, aired and keep reapplying the iodine and you'll be fine. So we were pretty excited by that. Um, at that point, Turlay had sort of gone through and passed us in the, in the, while we were basically on the riverbank but yeah. you know we're a strong paddling team so we figured well, we'll probably catch them anyway so there's no no problem there but um yeah the wheels just kind of fell off really um you know like the, our, our feet were were just requiring a bit of attention we couldn't sit on the kayaks properly and that night we just suffered severely from from a lack mm -hmm. of sleep and, and and probably should have stopped us well we should have stopped to sleep earlier but we left it too late and then once we did start sleeping it was you know, it was probably, we were basically in a big deficit. But anyway, we, we soldiered on and, and um, you know, we had a bad route choice uh, during that kayak. We lost a few hours and, and uh, things weren't going that well. But when we got towards the end of the kayak, there was a checkpoint there and uh, Trevor couldn't walk. He couldn't stand on his feet. And basically, as soon as he stood up, um, you know, his, but, you know his, his feet were so sore that his body just wouldn't allow him to stand on his feet. So... Sophie and I, our feet had improved quite a bit, but Trevor's had just got worse. And um, so yeah, it was looking pretty dire because we, you know, we still had that trekking section to go um, before the last mountain bike. So, yeah. so we were like, well, what we should probably do is, is you know, we were at this resort, and um, you know, we had a credit card with us, and and they actually had a small pharmacy at the resort. So, 
we decided to just to basically stop there for as long as it took, really, potentially for a whole night. Because um, you, you may not may or may not remember, but only three teams cleared the dark zone that day, cleared the rafting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so at that point, we, we actually decided that, yeah, we, we can't seriously be racing to win this anymore, but what we can try and do is just stay in the top three. Um, you know, so we figured, well, let's just stop a whole night and uh, and get ourselves better. So we brought some iodine and we checked into the hotel room and we had some food and drink and we had showers and, and we were basically about to go to sleep when Antonio arrived and uh, he wanted to know what was going on. He, I think he'd seen our tracker had stopped and he was in the area, so he came by and he just wasn't, you know, I showed him Trevor's feet and, and he was just really worried about them. And um, he said, oh, I want to get a doctor, you know, to come and have a look at Trevor's feet because they, they looked really bad. So I was like, okay, if you want to do that, that's fine. So I, I wanted to go and sleep. Everyone else was was sleeping. Mm-hmm. So um, so anyway, Antonio came back about, I don't know, you know, 15, 20 minutes later and said he couldn't get a doctor. Um, but he wondered if Trevor should perhaps, you know, get to hospital. And, uh, and I guess it just took us all a bit by surprise, you know, like we, we sort of had this plan and, and, and our plan was going really well. Like I, I think we'd made some really sensible decisions to stop and clean our feet and get some sleep and, and just take stock and, and, and readjust our goal just to finish and stay in the top three. But so Antonio came along and, and I'm not blaming him, but he, um, you know, I, I guess he sort of made us worry about it quite a bit. So yeah. I woke Sophie up and, and she was like, well, I don't think a night's sleep's going to make any difference to Trevor's feet. So maybe we should, maybe we should just um, get him to a, get him to a doctor in a hospital. And pretty much, Antonio said to us, "Look, I'm leaving in about an hour. Um, I can get you to, I can get you know Trevor to hospital now if, by tonight if you guys want me to." And um, and I, I just, I guess, just in the heat of the moment, we just sort of thought, well, it seemed like the sensible thing to do at the time. It just seemed like. Um, you know, Trevor was pretty out to it. He was pretty wasted. So we were like, well, you know. So, so yeah, and Chris was like, at that point, Chris Chris had, Chris had lost a lot of interest when we weren't racing to win anymore. He, finishing second or third to him was didn't, really didn't have much much value. So okay. yeah. he was like, well, I don't really care. If we're not racing to win, then then um, makes little difference to me. So, um, yeah, so in the end, we basically we, 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 we decided to um, pull the pin. What Which, in hindsight, we all agreed. Um, that well, we already regretted doing. We all regretted it in the end. But at, at the time, you know, that's just it. Just felt like yeah. the right thing to do. Well, I mean, that's yeah. You got to go with yeah what you feel at the time. It's it'd be nice to have a little be able to step back and look and you know think about it. But you didn't have yeah. that luxury. Yeah, it, it just seemed like a whole series of circumstances kind of led led to it. And and yeah, um, yeah I mean. In context of things, you know, we're sleep deprived. We're all tired. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things. Yeah. So, but well, you know, it's it's like uh, we started saying on the on the bus while we we're covering the race. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, my only other question, really, about that I'd like to know about worlds is how how was the mangrove swamp for you guys? That that was the the first paddle, was it? Yeah, through the mangroves and. Oh the... yeah, that that was pretty frustrating. I, you know, I, I think, I think the race directors really um, didn't serve us very well there, just in the sense that uh, the mangroves were quite poorly mapped, mm-hmm. and I think 
I think that's fine to send teams into an area that that is poorly mapped, but you need to kind of give teams a little bit more information or mark some extra things on the map or put the controls in places where where the poor mapping is not going to be a factor because us and many other teams, I think we were probably the ones who were most affected by it. You know, we spent pretty much a whole night um, in a channel that wasn't actually marked on the map. And, um, and you know, and it's just luck. There's no skill in, in um, being able to avoid that. It's, it just happens to be... Uh, you know, just one of those things. You, um, you you're just working with the information you have. So, so I, I guess to answer your question, the mangroves are pretty frustrating. I mean, they're actually quite interesting at the same time. But yeah, I, I think for a world championship event, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a little, perhaps a little bit unprofessional, really. Yeah, a little lot, little bit too much luck in there. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. and and especially because you know, from a safety point of view, not not that it was a, a huge safety point of view, but there was no fresh water in there. Yeah. And it was poorly mapped, and just with the tidal, the tides being quite random in the sense that we didn't really know. I mean, obviously, we knew the high and low tides, but how that affects sort of the inner parts of the mangroves is, is completely quite random to the tides because the water moves around in, in all these different sort of ways. So, so um, you know, some teams were in there for days, and and I, yeah. I thought, you know, that, that shouldn't really be happening. Yeah. It seems a little, yeah. And then, of course, you get the team that hit everything exactly right, and they think it was the greatest part of the race. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so you guys, did you kind of come out swinging hard at God's Zone this year to kind of get get the World Championships kind of behind you and and get set up for this year? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, we, we I mean, God's Zone's always a good good race for us yeah. in the sense that it's at home, but it's also at the end of summer. So, you know, we all naturally have pretty active summers and, um, and things. But, yeah, with Trev uh, not racing this year and bringing Stu on board, mm-hmm. you know, it was important for us to, to have a good race. You know, we want to have a lot of good races this year. And uh, certainly, certainly having a strong performance at home uh, means a lot to us, you know. I mean, there's really, some really, really good Kiwi teams here. So the level of racing is, is really competitive. And, um, yeah, we, we were very determined to... To, uh, we were more to our real goal was to have a really strong performance. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't some. I mean, we wanted to win the race, but it, it really was more about us. You know, having a race where we navigated well, made good decisions. You know, strategized well, and and, and ticked all those boxes. I mean, I mean, and at the end of the day, or well, the end of the year, that that that's how we're going to win in Ecuador is is by you know getting back to the basics and and doing everything doing everything right really yeah have you raced with Stu before or is it... uh no not not directly um <laughs> and, and what i mean by that is is that um quite often in in in, in races um, the new zealand teams will will work together like mm-hmm. we will conspire together and and um and and so i've i've been in a number of races where where we've basically been working together with other Kiwi teams for for a greater result for both teams. So while I haven't actually raced with Stu on directly on the same team, I have raced um, with him in, in essentially what has been a combine. Um, so yeah, so. <laughs> I do I do feel like I've raced with him before. That's kind of cool. Well, it's kind of funny. This the podcast that's actually going up tonight is with uh, Andrea Peebles, who was on the Hillbillies. Oh yeah. She joined. She joined that team six days before the race. Wow! 
So and they finished. So it's kind of the uh, opposite end of the uh, end of what you guys did. So this will be kind of an interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they the first night they stopped for slept for five and a half hours in a cabin. So I'm, I'm oh, guessing okay. you yeah, guys yeah. didn't have five hours of sleep the whole race, did you? No, we did actually because we got stuck on the dark zone. Oh, okay. Uh, the river so yeah. we ended up having um, an eight hour sleep that night yeah that yeah. that's something that always amazes me about racers is, is especially when you see a team four or five days in or six and they take an hour and a half sleep and i it, it's just kind of amazing how you just wake up and go i mean is that sort of like a i mean you have to do it but you kind of learn that over the years how to yeah, I, I think you do. I mean, it is also amazing how 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 fast you can recover mm-hmm. in in those races as well with a short sleep. I mean, um, you know, like tonight, for example, if I just slept for two not for two hours tonight, uh, tomorrow chances are I'll just be completely exhausted. But in an adventure race, if you have a two hour sleep, um, you know, you're good to go for a, for at least another day. Yeah. So. I guess it's just in the, within the context of of the sport, but per, perhaps it is because you know you, you're you're sort of running on adrenaline, so to speak, and and yeah. uh, your body is so fatigued that when you do give it a chance to sleep, it's it certainly uh, you know it certainly maximizes that rest. Yeah, I mean but, you're you're asleep in a second, and, you know, so yeah. you're getting two hours of really good sleep. So, yeah, so yeah. Probably like but but on saying that, I think I think for a lot of teams right across the spectrum of the of, of abilities would probably still go faster if they had more sleep and, and that'd be us included. But it's just a brave it'd be a brave team to um to, to, try <laughs> to stop and, and take a lot of well we've sort of tried it before, we've done it before, but but you but you got if you seriously want to win, um you have to be careful because every now and again there will be a team that will push on without sleep and actually pull it off. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a risky risky move and probably in a race like Costa Rica that was so long that that's where it would pay dividends I think. To, but in, to, a, in sort of a four day race, it's um, you know you 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 you're taking a bit of a risk really. Yeah. I'm going to break in here for a second from a word from our sponsor this week, the Appalachian Mountain Club, the AMCs. Really excited to be playing host to Untamed New England this June. The 100-mile wilderness setting in Maine is just a really cool place for adventure with trails and mountains and rivers and lakes and swamps and all kinds of wet things. Not to mention it's all in the middle of a huge forest. And no question, this is going to be a really cool setting for for a race. But, hey, if you're not racing... I'm not sure why you wouldn't be racing if you're listening to this, but if you really, you know, you want to go see what it, maybe what it's all about, get a taste of the uh, the outdoors. Go to outdoors.org um, for details on adventure destinations that the AMC manages throughout the Northeast, um, everywhere from New Jersey to Maine. And yes, New Jersey has wilderness, so give it a look. Um, so their uh, website is outdoors.org and be a great place great places for anybody looking to train for untamed new england this year um, and get a chance to look at the really cool cool spot at the 100 mile wilderness Um, and if you want to see something about the race uh, that's at untamednecom so um, now back to nathan so 
is that something, I mean, you're probably the best person to know. I found like in 100 mile, when I was racing and doing 100 mile mountain bike races, the, when you first started, it was just a matter of finishing. And then in a few years, it got to where it was racing. So is there a, were the first adventure races, was it just a matter of finishing and see what happened? And then gradually over time, it, it became racing? Um, that, that may be the case for a lot of people. Um, certainly not for me. I, I, my first race, I went into a, into a highly competitive team that, that was very, was very focused on winning. So, so pretty much from day one, I've always been in teams that have been, you know, going to a race with, with, with the intention of winning. Um, and that's probably the same for quite a few of the Kiwi Mm -hmm. athletes. I, I think that's probably because you know the the coast to coast and multi sports scene here is is um, is so big that you, you essentially serve your apprenticeship doing multi sport and once you've proven that you can do that by by placing highly in the coast to coast is really really the measuring sort of gauge, okay. then you'll get picked up you'll get picked up by really good uh, adventure racing teams. So. So now, for most of the top Kiwi athletes, it's pretty much racing um, right from day one. You know, so, the expectation there is to, is to win races. So okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, what's what's Seagate's plan for the rest of the year? What are you guys doing? I mean, obviously leading um, up to Worlds, but yeah, we've got a relatively um, relaxed year in a lot of ways. Uh, we so obviously we're God's own and at the end of May we go to South Africa for the Expedition Africa yeah. we just wanted to sort of get an international race under our belt and, and race some international teams you know with, with the new with the new team with Joe on board mm-hmm. and then after that we've got we're going to go and do the GeoQuest in Australia which is a 48 hour race yeah. and uh, yeah again it's, I guess it's close to home but also uh, the Australians the Australia, there's some strong teams in Australia over that distance so it'll be a good a good test for us and then really it's, um, you know, we winter over here and, and uh, springtime, uh, you know, we'll, we'll focus on Ecuador. So, yeah. So, well, I mean, that's that's actually a pretty full year for most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess what we're skipping this year is China. Like we typically do one or two China races um, as well, but we're not, we're not going to race right. in China this year. So, um, do you specifically train or do you just are you just out all the time uh for me for me now um I, I using your words i'm just out all the time i just just with life these days i've got you know i've got three young kids who are all pretty active and um you know I, i'm sort of i i guess you know life for me I, my event racing days are um you know, getting less. So, I, you know, I've got business interests and, and other things going on. Um, so I'm, I'm quite busy. So, yeah, I pretty much grab my training, uh, you know, at sort of random times and, and bank training when, I, when I've when i got time. So it's, it's less than ideal, but it's just the reality of, of uh, my life these days and and things. So the different teammates, you know, we, we, we sort of prepare fairly differently, um, you know, for the races. So, yeah, there was certainly a period in my life where I used to train specifically and, and structured, but but uh, not anymore. Now now it's more about just staying active and healthy and, and and doing what I can really. Yeah. So do you train train with a team 
any time during the year or do you just come together no, as no not not really um Sophie lives in Nelson, which is the same town as me, and, and she's a doctor and, yeah. and can have sort of quite random work hours. So so I tend to train with her a bit because I'm flexible. And actually during the week is when I do most of my training because usually in the weekends I'm busy with the family. Yeah. So Sophie and I sort of get out um, from time to time and, and do a bit, which is good. Uh, other than that, really it's just when we're away at races is when we spend time together. And uh, we, we often try and get to a venue a little bit earlier and, uh, and just have that time as a team to kind of relax and, and uh, chill out together. And get together and, you know, you, know you, don't need to, you don't need to spend every waking moment with your teammates when you don't have to. <laughs> no, that's right. In some ways it's better when we don't, you know, because that means when we do get together it's, um, it's quite fresh and exciting and, yeah. and, you know, we're good mates and there's always a lot to catch up on, um, you know, as opposed to perhaps a team that trains together all the time. I, I, I think it could possibly... Uh, yeah, lose a bit of its novelty, or or um, or, or you just become yeah you know, too race focused. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So what was what was your background before you started doing multi sport? I mean, you you know what what were you doing before that? Oh, uh, um, sporting wise, I um, oh, just growing up at school through secondary school, my teenage years, I was playing just conventional sport, mm-hmm. which in New Zealand is a lot of rugby and and soccer and cricket. Yeah. And then uh, towards my senior years, when I was about 16, 17, 18 years old, I guess, I, I took a real interest in outdoor sport, um, hiking and uh, climbing and kayaking and, and various things. And uh, mountain biking was my first real competitive sport. I, I raced mountain bikes uh, sort of semi-professionally for, oh, I'll be five or six years, and then I was in the New Zealand team for five years and uh, qualified for the Olympics in 96 in Atlanta for mountain biking. But um, after, the, after the Olympics, I, well, I didn't actually get to ride the Olympics in the end because the New Zealand cycling team was too big, so they didn't take the male mountain bike team. Mm. So after that, I, I kind of, well, I, I sort of had enough of mountain biking, to be honest. I'd, I'd been full on for five or six years, you know, and racing on the World Cup and all the series in the States and various things. So... I wanted to kind of do something different, and that's when I—that's when I really focused on multi-sport. So for a few years, I raced coast to coast, pretty much from '96 uh, through to '99, and uh, yeah, mountain running, cycling, and and uh, downriver kayaking. Yeah. And then in 1999, I, that's when I picked up adventure racing or switched my focus to adventure racing. So, so uh, yeah, mountain biking through multi-sport and then into adventure racing. Yeah, that's it's kind of funny, just you know. And starting to talk with people and finding out that's kind of that's kind of the conventional way people get into it a lot of them are just outdoors people like hiking and being in the mountains and then discover running or cycling or something and then and then move over into adventure racing mm. so so it's it's interesting to to see that you're sort of conventional <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i've even i've sort of noticed that in different um you know, in different countries too that, you know, people are fed into adventure racing in slightly different ways. Like my experience with uh, North America is that a lot of the adventure racers, or certainly a lot of the good ones, have come from mountain biking. And yeah. I guess I guess because a mountain biker has the same sort of interests as an adventure racer, you know, yeah. it's kind of exciting and dirty and dynamic and sort of getting in the outdoors. I, I sort of noticed in Europe and in France, um, 
you know, they, they often come from sort of more alpine backgrounds. Well, cer certainly the first and second generation racers, you know, a lot of them were mountaineers and skiers and, and they kind of got into adventure racing. And, and New Zealand, it's certainly multi-sport. That's yeah. the real common thread. Um, in Australia, as you know, people came, a lot of the good adventure racers sort of came through surf, um, the surf background, you know, um, Ironman surf, bits and pieces. So, yeah, people sort of get fed to it in different ways. But probably now is, is, is really the period where we're seeing people getting into adventure racing because because they just want to get into adventure racing, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. I think um, it's interesting you say coming from the surf background because when I was talking to Andrea, she came from a life-saving surf background and we kind of realized that people that are comfortable in the ocean and big waves and stuff, there's not much on land that's going to make them not comfortable. So Yeah, okay. You know, yeah, yeah. And it's like I said, if something's, yeah. something's going to hell and you're, sitting, you're on a mountain, you can sit down and think about it. Sort of, where you can't in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, yeah true, true. Huh. So, so yeah. you said you got you know business interests. What do you, what, what's your day like? What are you doing in New Zealand? Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's really um, it's really varied actually. Um, I, I, there's probably a few different arms to what I do. One of them is event organisation. So I have a event management company, and we're doing a couple of things. Um, we do some consultancy work. So basically, if events are being run around the country, mm -hmm. uh, always always sporting events, um, if they need to be safety audited or basically need to be um, feedback or designed, um, myself or staff can basically go around and, and essentially just you know make sure that events are being delivered safely and um, and done properly. And I had a contract with the New Zealand government for doing that for a few years. And then we run our own events as well. So we have a couple of major events here in New Zealand. Um, one of them actually is probably is probably one of the biggest event races in the world. Um, we have an event called the Spring Challenge, which was a, which is a women's event race, which we have about a thousand women competing in uh. um, every year. So that that's a pretty major event and almost a full time job um, organising that every year. And then uh, added to that. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I do a little bit of coaching and uh, of you know athlete coaching and and things, um, but the other big sort of project, uh, which is quite a recent one, is I've recently brought into a um, a freeze dry meal company. So um, yeah. yeah, it's essentially making meals for in, for in the uh, out in the wilderness. So no, so like not specifically adventure racing, but but good for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good for adventure racing, but yeah, no, with the wider, certainly with a wider uh, market or audience base. Yeah, so right. um, yeah. yeah, so that's essentially, um, you know, what what uh, yeah, what what I do. It's very flexible, and I'm I'm pretty lucky. I can pick and choose. Yeah, uh, how much work I want to do, and I, I I pretty much build it around the races. You know, at the start of each year, I'll I'll usually decide what races what races I'm going to do, and then I'll fit work around what around those races. Yeah, except you need to learn to say what the name of the company is with the freeze-dried food. Oh, <laughs> absolute wilderness. I'll find the link, and I'll put that, that stuff in the show notes so people can find it. Probably You sure. probably have to be in New Zealand to get it, though, right? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we can, we can ship overseas, but, um, yeah, you know, we're not legally allowed to sort of officially export yeah. um but yeah we, in time we will it's a pretty of a startup company but yeah new zealand at the moment is our main market so yeah yeah it's like that's as good that's as good a training as anything running your own businesses for adventure racing 
So yes, totally. <laughs> so, well, how I mean, how much longer do you think you're going to race? Do you have a do you do you know, or are you just going to just kind of playing it by ear and see what how it goes? Yeah, I'm fairly I'm fairly open to just playing it by ear at this stage. I I guess what it really comes down to is um, two things, and one is uh, sponsorship. Yeah. So. As long as Seagate are happy to to sponsor a team, then then it's pretty hard to walk away from yeah. it. Uh, but you know, I know, I know that I know just from I, I guess I know <laughs> that uh, that that sponsorship won't be around forever, yeah. and, um, and and at some point it's going to come to an end. And and the other thing really will be my teammates. Like I think at the moment we've got such an exceptional team and a group of people that I really really enjoy spending time with. So I think if there's any major changes um, within the team, then um, then yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if I could go back through uh, you know the whole sort of rebuilding and a team again. Um, I, I think I take that as a sign to uh, to sort of bow out again. So pro- probably answer your question. I, I'm obviously racing this year. Yeah. I'm open. I'm, I'm definitely open to racing um, next year, 2015. Yeah. But um, I, I'm pretty sure that'll that'll be it yeah. um, so. at the end of next year, I think. So yeah, well, and until somebody makes you an offer, you can't refuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the other thing that's creeping up on me is is my kids. Actually, they they're sort of seven, nine, and eleven now, and and they are increasingly wanting to do more and more um, stuff. They've, they've obviously grown up in the outdoors, and yeah. they're all pretty pretty capable young folks, and I think um, once they start hitting teenage years, the level that they can operate at is is getting, you know, pretty high, and uh, and they they want to do more things. So yeah. when they see me going for a kayak now, they you know, Dad, I want to go kayaking, or you know, I want to come with you and do that. And and um, at the moment, the speed they're operating at is, I mean, I'll I'll go and do stuff with them, but it's not really not really training for me. But yeah. I, I think in another year or two, uh, you know, I, I need to I need to give them that time and energy really, and um, and just yeah, my, my, I've had my, I've had a great great career, and in my time in the sun, it'll be time to, to uh, yeah, to, to, yeah, to sort of support them. Yeah, but you know, in like five or six years, you could you could have a family team to race God's Zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. I, I think I, I think I've seen event racing too close up. None of that coming at the moment. Yeah, yeah. The 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 shoemaker's son doesn't have any shoes. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, so I don't, I don't want to jinx you or anything, but what do you think about Worlds in Ecuador? Do you think it suit is going to suit your team? Just... Oh no, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I, I've had this view for a long time, and and uh, I'm really excited to go to Ecuador, and, and it's a place I'd, I'd love to visit, mm-hmm. and I think it'll be amazing, but. I really don't think altitude and event racing uh, mix. I, I just think it's one of those sports that, uh, yeah, there's enough hardship going on without adding, um, you know, the altitude factor. So I, I'm, my guttural feeling is it's going to be a, um, I think it's going to be a very, very random race. And I think we'll do all we can to prepare for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, we, we want to have a good race there, and we want to have a race where we can step away from it and be really proud of what we achieved. Whether we win or not, I I'm I'm reluctant to even sort of yeah. think that far. To be honest. Well, I mean, altitude is such a 
I mean, such a random altitude sickness, such a random thing that there's there's no way to. You could be the fittest person in the world and have a bad day, and if it's on that day, you're screwed. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, yeah, know. exactly. So yeah, and I was, I mean, I, a lot of the race is quite high. You know, for us who live, you know, living at sea level, um, I know the I know the local people there, the, the organisers, they're pretty excited that. Um, you know, to them, the race, the altitude shouldn't really be much of a factor. But when they release the stats of the elevations we're going to be at, um, we're spending a huge amount of time at altitude, really. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I just, I think it compromises the racing and it adds an ele- element of danger, um, you know, risk into the races. Um, yeah, I, it's a tricky one. So, no, I, I think... Um, I mean, probably what's motivating at the moment is there's not really any of the top teams who live at altitude. Yeah. You know, years years ago there was a couple of really really good teams who trained and lived at altitude, and and we just couldn't touch them basically. They were just in a league of their own at altitude. But at least now most of the top teams are, are, are most of them are living at sea level, so we're all we're it's a bit of an even playing field in, in that sense. So well, that should help. Although Kyle Peters trying to buy an altitude chamber, so you better watch out. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the other way. That's the other way around. Other way around. Um, do yeah. you think? I mean, does it, it hurt, help, or hurt you that because you'll be coming off your winner, right? To go and in, going yeah. into worlds. So, oh, I mean, is it a big deal? No, not really. Um, it, it's not as good as coming off a summer, yeah. but um, springtime in New Zealand is is pretty nice, and our winters are actually pretty mild. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and actually, for me, I'm I'm going to be living in Queenstown um, for the winter. We're going to we'll be down there for the ski season. And you can actually you can actually do some sort of quite um, low level altitude training there because the town's elevated and, you, and you're skiing up around. You know, you can be skiing up around 2,000 meters um, most days. So so I actually I actually can get a little bit of altitude training down in there, and, and the winters are mild. So it isn't it isn't ideal uh, coming off coming off our um, you know, winter or spring yeah. into a big race, but it's not, it's not, I mean, compared to say the Swedes and stuff, you know, when they're trying, their winters are so extreme, you know, um, yeah. things get really compromised. So no, we, we, we couldn't use that as an excuse. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's never a perfect spot for everybody. So you just do what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, I'm trying to think if I had any other questions, but we've had an, had a nice conversation um yeah and I'm, I'm i'm desperately working i'm trying to figure out a way to get to africa too so hopefully maybe we'll see you there but you know how that yeah, goes cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so although yeah, we're, no, we're, we're, on. yeah working with a few people and and uh breathe magazine their coverage has been really good and they've been been yep. really working to try and get somebody at the races so oh yeah yeah so we'll we'll see what happens but uh yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah. Well, I appreciate taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I think I think people are going to find this pretty interesting. So. Yeah, cool, cool. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's well timed actually, just with uh, with what I'm doing at the moment. So, so it's cool. Yeah, it's good. Other yeah. than trying to figure out the time zones and everything is. Yeah. Good thing we have the internet, or I'd never figure out what time it is there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, but um, yeah, so, all right. Well, I keep thinking I'm going to come up with some sort of a catchphrase to end the podcast, but I haven't yet. So I'm just going to say thanks for, thanks for taking the time to chat, and uh, 
hopefully we'll see you later sometime this year. Yeah, no, for sure. No, thanks, Randy. No, that that's great, and and, and good on you for uh, you know putting the energy into the sport and and doing what you're doing. It's appreciated. Oh, thanks. It's actually going pretty well. So, I thank everybody that's listening to all these. So, so hopefully they had a good conversation. So. Yeah, nice one. All right. Well, I'm just cool. going to say goodbye. We'll talk to you later. Okay, Randy. Good one. All right. Bye. See you.